Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to episode 293 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Father's Day, although it won't be when we're done recording this. Scott Coleman is here, and we are recording very, very late on Sunday into Monday. And that is why, at least in part, Scott, you are of so much value to me, because it's 8.30 where you are and 11.30 where I am. Yes. That that West Coast time difference always pays off whenever we have to do one of these late, especially after the Sunday night games, which, of course, the Braves are on. Uh, but good to be on. Happy Father's Day to all of our dad listeners out there. And uh, Sunday was a fantastic sports day. You have a doubleheader for the Braves. Uh, you have two NBA playoff games with uh, the hometown Atlanta Hawks, of course, advancing. Sorry, your just... your Atlanta Hawks. <laughs> there we go. Yes, that's my brand. I'm a, a lifelong diehard Atlanta <laughs> Hawks fan. Uh, but you had, you had the Braves, you had NBA, you had an NHL playoff game, you had a great final round of the U.S. Open, uh, and a whole bunch of other things going on. So it was an enjoyable day, and uh, I know, uh, like I said on Twitter, you grind harder than anyone coming to, covering the Hawks. So if, if there's any kind of crossover, be sure to check out Brad's work uh, on the Atlanta Hawks side of things as well. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah, it's been a slow night for me. Uh... Apologies to everyone if I lose my mind or train of thought during this podcast. I got a lot going on in my brain. But here we are. And, you know, it was a weird six game homestand for the Braves this week. It started out in less than ideal fashion and it ended in, I'll say, improved fashion. It still wasn't great. You know, Sunday, Sunday afternoon game was not a pleasure necessarily, but they win the night game tonight. Um, the seven inning doubleheader. Uh, you know, split, splitting those is just fine. They went on Friday, so it could have been worse this week. It could have been better, of course. They're still hovering in the 500 range, um, five games back of the Mets. But uh, it's not, you know, it's one of these podcasts where we come on and, you know, we'll certainly have a rant or two, I'm sure, uh, along the way, particularly when, when discussing early early in the week. But uh, it could have been worse, I guess, maybe is yeah. the theme of the Brave season <laughs> so far. Yes. It's like every time we talk about them, it's like, all right, well, this is not very much fun, but they're only X games back or they're only yeah. whatever. And that's kind of st- still where we are now, I guess. Yeah. Whenever it, it feels like the season has a chance to go off the rails, they have somehow managed to win a couple games. And thankfully, the Mets are not. I mean, if, if the Braves were in the National League West right now, where you have three teams that are like 12 games ahead, I mean, you could you can realistically say the season is effectively over, right? Like they're not going to catch three teams that are 12 plus games ahead of them. But because the East has been so average to mediocre so far this year, and um, we, we know too well of the Braves ups and downs all year long. And as you just said, thankfully, they were able to come up and win three out of four against a Cardinals team that had been struggling over the last couple weeks. 
you, you just hope, and it feels like we say this on every single podcast we do, we hope that they're going to find their groove and settle in and, and finally get above 500 and put some space between them and hopefully catch up to the Mets. But as we know, this year has been a frustrating one. And just when it seems like things are going to go well, they, they have a couple of tough nights. Yeah, to be sure. And we'll start at the beginning of the week here. You know, Tuesday and Wednesday was one of those moments. Uh, a couple of 10-8 losses to the Red Sox. Exactly the same score. Uh, they weren't the same game script necessarily, uh, but still frustrating because you know you score 16 runs in two days. You're not you're not supposed to go 0 and 2 when that happens. Um, but you know I guess we'll start we'll start on Tuesday as we always do. We'll have some new stuff later on. But uh, Tucker Davidson got to start on Tuesday. He'd been a great story and unfortunately uh, was was not good and then and then actually had to leave the game with forearm tightness. Um, he's on the he's on the IL. It could have been worse, I guess. Um, and also keeping with our theme there, I guess he didn't, he's not hurt terribly badly from what they have said since then. But he's on the IL. Um, they did they did come back though in, on Tuesday despite trailing five nothing in the third to tie it at seven seven. But uh, Chris Martin, who has been good for the most part, gives up a three run homer to break the tie, and then they lose despite a faint threat in the ninth inning. So. I mean, I guess we'll stop there for a second, uh, and because Wednesday's going to take a little bit more time, I think, with the uh, the Snicker debacle on, on Wednesday Wednesday evening. But uh, what did you make of uh, of Tuesday? You know, I guess it's good that they battled back to tie it, but uh, again, a frustrating bullpen loss at the end. Yeah, yeah. These two Red Sox games, in a way, felt like the two losses they had in Philadelphia just the week before. Um, and again, it's it's been a theme that. Whenever there's a toss-up game, it feels like more times than not the Braves, whether it's the bullpen can't close it out or the lineup just can't scratch across a run or two. In this case, as you said, you score 16 runs in two days. At worst, you figure you're going 500. Uh, It was a tough loss. Again, the bullpen has been so Jekyll and Hyde, and Chris Martin, as good as he was early, has struggled in recent weeks. Uh, he was bad in that Philadelphia series we just talked about, and of course giving up that three-run homer in the eighth. Whenever you're trailing five nothing, if you come all the way back to tie it just to have a reliever come in and promptly implode, uh, that that was tough to watch. And uh, just another a game that you hope that as the season progresses, we don't look back on and say, well, if if they could have had a couple of these wins, that maybe things would be different. It is still early enough where there's plenty of baseball to be played, but once again, it was. It was just a game where the bullpen just was not sharp, and and unfortunately, uh, it didn't turn out too well. And as you as you alluded to, Tucker Davidson has been a tremendous story. You, you just hope that with a little rest and rehab, he uh, he'll be able to throw again this year and continue his really good work. Because prior to to Tuesday night's loss, he had been really impressive. Yeah, he had been, and hopefully he gets uh, back on track and is healthy in the near future. Um, I guess we'll go to Wednesday now. <laughs> Again, kind of a weird game script. Uh, Anderson was not good, although he's been good this year. He was not his best on Wednesday. He gave up eight, eight base runners in four innings. Um, and here's where uh, I think Bryce Snicker became the topic of conversation um, for the rest of the evening, basically. Um, first, he brings in Kyle Muller, who was uh, called up to make his Major League Baseball debut. He brings him in against a string of right-handed hitters with a one-run with, with a run one-run lead in the. I don't know. It was just a weird sequence i understand you bring up a guy he's got to be ready to pitch but it did feel like a curious time to use a guy for the first time given what was coming up in the lineup for boston yeah that's tough and i realized that the night before the bullpen had been taxed pretty heavily and and you can't use the same guys every single night but that's a tough spot to put 
Kyle Muller in, you already know he is going to have adrenaline through the roof being his big league debut. And then guess what? You're going to come in and face the middle of a good Red Sox lineup, as you said, with a bunch of right-handed power hitters. It did not go well for Kyle. You hope that he's able to put that beyond him and, uh, and, and move on. But yes, it was, um, I, I know it's not, it doesn't always work out perfectly like this, but for my money, let a kid make his debut whenever there's a six run lead or even a six run deficit. So he's not stepping into the flames. Um, and I guess he, he didn't pitch horribly. There was a little bit of bad luck with Kyle there. There was a ball that just barely made it down the third base line that really hurt. But, um, that's a tough spot to put him in. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, like you said, the bullpen was taxed. I didn't lose my mind about that one. You know, there, there are worse things that we'll probably even discuss on this podcast, but I thought it was at least a curious decision. Um, they allowed four, they allowed four runs in the seventh. Um, Shane Green loads the bases and Minter gives, gives up a grand slam right after that. So just, you know, again, the bullpen is just not getting, it's not, not getting the job done, at least at, at times this season. We'll just kind of leave it there for now. We've done enough on that recently. Um, down 10 to seven though, comes the, uh, the headline story of the evening, unfortunately. Down 10, seven in the ninth. Um, Ronald Acuna hits an RBI double to get within 10-8. He tries to go to third base. Um, number one, that was not a good decision by Ronnie. I think everyone agrees on that, on that one point. That was not a good, that was not a good decision on the base pass. You're down two. You don't need to do that. He was thrown out, he was thrown out at third. Now, that is where the things diverge because Ronnie was the best player on the field in the game on Wednesday, and he usually is. He's awesome. I uh, got on base four times in the game, etc. And Brian Snicker, um, notably frustrated about the loss, I'm sure, and two straight losses, decided to take out some of his ire on his best player. And uh, I think the the phrasing that got him in the most trouble was was calling it stupid, what Ronnie did. And just basically the way that it was discussed, and I made a joke about it that wasn't really a joke on Twitter, is that I, I don't think that Brian Snicker would ever talk that way about other players on the team. Uh, the, the example that I would use is Freddie Freeman, the other star. If you're trying to find someone who is on the level of Ronald Acuna, the only guy on the team that has that same level as Freddie Freeman. And Scott, I'll just ask you this. Do you think in a million years you would have heard that series of quotes about Freddie Freeman for, for Bryce Snicker? No, and I, I'll you know I'll do you one better with an actual example, and, and it's not Freddie Freeman, but a couple of weeks ago, Dansby Swanson was thrown out trying to take third, and it was a bad look, and Snitker's quote was, I love the aggressiveness. I love when kids try to make something happen on the base paths. And then two weeks later, Acuna does it, and he calls him stupid. I mean, or I guess he didn't call Ronald stupid, but he called it a stupid decision. And um, and the thing is, a, it, it wasn't a good yeah. decision. Like, no one is it arguing that. It's Correct. just the way it was discussed. And this is not the first time, is the other thing. Like, he he's very willing, for whatever reason, to throw Ronnie under the bus when yes. there are other things going on. I mean, the playoff example is the most famous. Mm-hmm. But... You know, and I used the dancing example too. Somebody tweeted it, and I, I quote tweeted it, and so I got, I got some responses that were like different situation. I'm like, well, not really. I mean, kind of. It was not exactly the same situation. Yes, you're, you're correct. But you know, apples to apples is not, I guess, perhaps, but it is similar enough to take note. And this is not something that we just like, you know, noticed alone. A lot of people noticed this on their own. Like it was like weird. I mean, nationally, it got some play. Like. You know, Bryce Sicker's calling out Ronald Acuna, his best player. Like, that's kind of strange. And I'm like, yeah, it's not strange, though. That's the thing. I mean, it, it feels strange to us, but it's happened so often that it's, like, kind of run-of-the-mill, I guess. But it definitely, you know, calls the whole stir. And, again, like, I think it's just – I don't know what – I honestly don't know what it is. Um, 
there's this whole like segment of you know Bryce Snicker old school stuff versus Ronnie has fun on, fun on the base pass and that kind of stuff. I don't know. It's just bizarre. And I think the safe way to put it would be that you don't see a manager call out his best player with this, with this, with this kind of regularity this often. I don't know. It's just right. strange. I agree. And there is totally a time and place to sit down a player and say, look, we love what you do on the base pass. We love your aggressiveness. You make things happen, but you have to be aware of time and situation and all of that. Do that in your office with the door closed. Don't go blabbing about it to a dozen reporters who, you know, again, as you said, I mean, I think Fox Sports MLB's primary hub tweeted it out. Um, like that, that's something that catches on. And, and there was some, uh, we'll call it questionable reaction online. There was some reports of Ronald Acuna's dad who was online on, I think, Instagram. And again, you don't want to go down that rabbit hole because who knows what's lost in translation with all of that. But again, it, it's just not good practice to take public dumps on your franchise superstar who is under contract for another seven or eight years. Um, I would hope that this is the last time it happens and, and, and it was a mistake. I don't think anyone denies it, it, all things equal. I can tell you that Ronald wishes he would have stayed on second base and given Freddie a chance to tie the game. But to single out Acuna in a game where your pitching staff just gave up 10 runs and Ronald had a great night, including keeping the game going in the ninth inning with two outs and a double in the gap. Like, come on, that that is not the time or place to call him out for a mistake and um, I hope that this is not something that continues to be an issue because the absolute last thing the Braves need is for Brian Snitker to alienate his franchise player uh, when he is by far and away the best future chance this team has of winning anything. Yeah, so that's enough of that. I think, you know, I'm sure you got these two. I got a couple of, like emergency podcasts talking about Snicker on, on Wednesday night. And <laughs> no, the answer was no on that. But we figured we yep. would do at least five minutes on that. It was frustrating. Uh, it didn't change the, the course of the game. Uh, and we'll, we'll leave that there now. But I'll wrap up this uh, that, that mini-series, as I said briefly in passing. 16 runs in two days, and they lost both games. They're now only 7-4 and four this season. When they Sorry, I guess they're now 8-4. and four. Yeah, they're eight and four now because they because they, they did it the next day as well. Eight and four when scoring eight runs or more this season, uh, which sounds okay until you realize they were seventy seven and five the three the three previous seasons when they scored eight, mm. eight, or, eight or more runs. So, just a good example of the pitching not doing its job, the run prevention overall not doing its job is you know yeah it might not seem so bad to be eight and four, but uh, eight and four versus seventy seven and five is uh, very very different in terms of yes. uh, the effectiveness. All right, before we get to the uh, the weekend extended series and much more on the podcast, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Prop G Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, let us dive into some more pleasurable baseball. And uh, that was a three and one finish to the week. Uh, Thursday, our guy Charlie Morton, who we have uh, defended, I think, pretty roundly on this podcast, was tremendous. Took a no hit bid into the seventh, only allowed three hits and seven two thirds innings. Just an awesome shutdown effort. And given what we just talked about, about how bad the pitching was Tuesday and Wednesday, 
that is pretty much exactly what, what they had to have on Thursday was Charlie Morton being at least acting like you know a veteran ace in the way that he was in that game. Yeah, given the way Tuesday and Wednesday's games went when the bullpen was heavily used, the absolute last thing you wanted is for Charlie to not be able to complete three or four innings. Um, he was very, very good, very impressive. We have seen at times this year that Morton can be fantastic. He had that really good start against the Red Sox maybe a month ago. Uh, Thursday night when they needed him most, he shut down a Cardinals lineup. Uh, yeah, it was it was an impressive night for Charlie, and I think – I, I think you and I both are in agreement that we expect better things from from Charlie than what he was in the first two and a half months of this season. Uh, if you look at his underlying numbers, there's some reasons for encouragement, and hopefully that was just a springboard to uh, a good final three months of the year because if the Braves are going to make any kind of run here, they are going to need Charlie to be one of, if not the best pitcher in the rotation. We know how good he can be when he's right, and you hope he's able to build and, and avoid that that one blow up inning that seemed to plague him the first couple couple months here. Yeah, absolutely. And you know you can't expect this kind of performance from Morton all the time because that's that was the uh, he was dominant on Thursday, um, but they they needed it pretty badly and that worked out. Uh, even with that though, they were tied zero zero in the fifth. Heredia goes deep in the fifth inning. They add two more runs in the sixth and one in the seventh, and they sort of hold the fort down from there. But uh, you know, and by the way, Heredia and Alma- Heredia and Almonte have been uh, great as much as I don't expect it to continue. Mm. Um, it's been kind of nice. Uh, and you know, I made as many Adam Duvall jokes as possible early on in the season, but somebody tweeted this out. I can't remember who it was now. My apologies. Um, kind of comparing Duvall versus those guys so far. And it's been advantage. It's been advantage Heredia and Almonte, which yeah. is a uh, shot to those guys for uh, doing their jobs in a big way. In, in a year where they have lost Ozuna, for I mean indefinitely and they've gotten very very little out of Christian Pache and Ender is firmly who Ender he is, is Ender. at this point yeah <laughs> exactly um, they have been terrific and, and big boosts and really over the last couple of weeks the lineup has not been the problem it seems like more times than not they've been they've been good uh, it, it's really just been the pitching that's been inconsistent and as you said those two guys have have done more than what could have been expected from them Big time. Um, we'll leave that game now and go to go to Friday. Uh, you know, again, kind of a, I don't know, a nice breezy win, nine to one. Max Fried was also awesome. Um, not quite as good as Morton, but you know, pretty close. Allowing one run, seven innings. Um, Contreras homers. Ozzy hits a homer. Um, in, in, in all, the, I think they had eighteen base runners in the game, and they scored now um, with with Friday's with Friday's game. They scored twenty nine runs in four games. And granted, they only went two and two, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> right. twenty nine runs in four games is a nice way to break out of anything that's going on there. Um, anything else that you wanted to get into from Friday? I mean, I, I know you want to talk about Contreras a little bit. Yeah, you know, William Contreras has been an interesting uh, an interesting guy. I think he is very clearly somebody who is still learning, and after a, a, a really impressive offensive start, uh, you know, defensively he is he has struggled and is still somebody who is very much learning how to call a game and how to get in front of pitches behind the plate. And you have to remember, he's a guy who is not only 23 years old, but really had had zero minor league season last year. Um, he was somebody who would have spent all of last season in the the upper levels of the minors. So I, I think he gets a little bit of leeway with his mistakes. But I, I do think Contreras is worth pointing out. I, I know uh, the talking chop prospect guys are very high on Bill. A 110 WRC plus uh, on the season as of now, and I think while there's still room for improvement, it seems like his defense has gotten a little steadier. He he had that like 
week stretch where it seemed like every single night there were multiple pass balls, whether some of that was mental versus mechanical or whatever it was. Um, He seems to to be slowing the game down a little bit. And I'm very high on what I've seen from Contreras. I I believe you are too. And uh, it's fun to see in a year where so many things have gone wrong. It's the young players excelling. That's been so much fun to watch Contreras, of course, Austin Riley, even though he's in a bit of a funk himself, he had that incredible six-week stretch. Um, you know, Tucker Davidson, who we just talked about, despite the injury, Waskari Noah, same same boat. Uh, but I, I've enjoyed watching Contreras play, and I, I thought it was worth at least mentioning that, as we know, the the bar for good major league catching is really really low, and, and he's been impressive, and I think he's shown enough as long as he continues to improve and slow down the game and and get a little better behind the plate that he has a very bright future. I think one of the pillars of our podcast might be the catching baseline being pretty low. I think we, we have driven that point home over the course of nearly 300 episodes pretty well, but uh, he is really good, man. Uh, You know, 23 years old and to be able to hit at this level, like he has to this point, you know, the sample wasn't like completely enormous, but from like you said, what what our prospect guys have been saying for a while, like it doesn't feel fluky at the plate. Like this is not, I don't think a fake situation where you have a guy come up and get hot for a little bit. Like I think it's kind of real. So if the defense improves, like it has been a little bit better recently. uh, Yeah. That'd be nice to uh, sort of continue the line of effective catching the Braves have had for quite some time. And we'll get into Travis Darno later on, but um, if that happens too, it's kind of a good problem. Eventually if Contreras is playing this well, that if Darno comes back, you can kind of ease him in and uh, be kind of loaded at catcher. Um, all right, we'll go, we'll go to Sunday now, finish up the week, and then we'll get into some news at the end. Um, they split on Sunday the 7-8 doubleheader that they had, the first of two in a row, by the way. They have another one on Monday, which is a lot of baseball in two days. Um, but uh, Wilson, not great in the early game. Um, gave up eight, eight base runners in, in four-plus innings. But uh, here comes the Brian Sticker show for uh, the afternoon game. <laughs> uh, again, I, I want to stress this right now. Before I rant a bit, and you might as well, Before I, def- I definitely will. The Braves probably lose this game anyway. I will preface that yes. right now by saying that right now. Yes. Get it out of the way. They, they were losing. They probably lose it anyway. But uh, two men on in the fifth, down 3-1, and Snip brings in Josh Tomlin, uh, which on its own is curious, we'll say. Curious is not always a bad word, but on its own is curious. Uh, he does not pitch effectively, and in a flash, they're down by a lot more than 3-1. The crazy thing happened later on in the sixth inning. Again, this is a seven-inning doubleheader, so seven-inning game. Uh, in the sixth inning, Snicker brought in Tyler Matzik when it was 9-1. to one. So, Scott, I will throw it to you, and I've asked this question to several people. Uh, we, we don't know for sure. What What is the th- thought process that would make sense to you in your brain to have Tomlin pitch in a relatively high-leverage situation in the in the fifth, only to have Matzik, who I think everyone in the world would agree is better than Tomlin, pitch in mop up duty nine one in the sixth. Yeah, I I really don't know, and honestly, I've kind of given up trying to figure out. At this point, we know that if the Braves are losing, Brian Snitker treats his bullpen hundred and eighty degrees differently than when the team is winning, and it should not be that way. Anytime you're losing, obviously, you can't always throw your best relievers, but there is such a drastic difference than being down three to one when the game is still inherently winnable. And of course, the Braves didn't go on to score in the in the sixth or seventh inning. So as 
as you said, they still probably lose this game. We'll never know mentally what the difference in, in three to one versus nine to one would have done to the team offensively. But to use your worst reliever, somebody who should not be in the game unless the starting pitcher gets hurt or whatever it is and you need a couple innings covered, to use your worst reliever in a three to one game against the middle of the Cardinals lineup when you have Tyler Matzik obviously available. But then to use Tyler an inning later once it's nine to one, I mean that 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 makes no sense. It makes no sense at the big league level. It makes no sense at the minor league level. It makes no sense at the little league level. You should not be pitching your worst reliever when you have all of them available. They didn't play on Saturday, and they did not have to go to the bullpen very much on Friday either. Freed covered seven innings. I really don't understand it. I know it's, it seems like we talk about this every week and we're not trying to beat a dead horse, but who knows if the outcome would have been different, but there is really just zero reason to bring Josh Tomlin in a three to one game in effectively the seventh inning because of the shortened game. It, it just, it makes no sense. And I, it is what it is. I think this is just going to be kind of the case as long as Brian Snicker is the Braves manager, but uh, just a head scratcher and one that was just needlessly put the game out of reach well before it should have been out of reach. I don't think people are going to believe, believe me when I say this, but I, I promise you this is true. I was going out of my way this week to not talk about Snickers bullpen management on this podcast. I was like <laughs> trying not to make notes about it. Yep. And then today it became unavoidable because uh, I got, I got a bunch of messages and tweets and stuff about it. And it was just so much, I mean, honestly, if it had just been Tomlin, I might've, we, we might've just breezed by it. Uh, probably would have brought it up. But the fact that Matzik came in in the, in, the, in the sixth, I was losing my mind. I was like, you cannot, I cannot believe that, that Matzik's in this game right now. Like, what is the justification for this? One of, the, one of my favorite theories before, before we move on is that someone told, someone said this to me. It's not my original thought. Was like, is there a chance that, Sniff forgot, that, it, that he forgot it was a seven-inning game? Like, is there a chance that he thought Tom was coming in for long relief? Because God, I, hope, I hope not. You know what I mean? It, like, because that's not, honestly, I, I'm, mo- I'm mostly kidding here. But it would have been more defensible at a nine-inning game because that way it's like, all right, it's a doubleheader today. We're going to bring in Tomlin and just hope to get like three innings out of him here. Um, that would actually make more sense. So I hope that's not true, but I'm just, you know, thinking out loud. It just, it just didn't make any sense. We'll leave it there for now, but man. Uh, and by the way, the offense, the offense was also bad. It was not an only a pitching slash managing loss. Uh, Adam Wainwright, old friend of the Braves, uh, with a complete game in quotation marks, pitched, he pitched all seven uh, the Braves only had six guys on base, and the only run they scored this game scored on a strikeout. So, yeah. yeah. On a weird, yeah, a weird play. A bizarre play. Um, yeah. Anyway, they lose the game 9-1, so uh, probably inconsequential. But fortunately, the evening game um, on national TV, no less, was much more entertaining for the Braves. Uh, the only run scored was on a Brian, uh, sorry, Brian Sticker. I'm reading, I'm reading off my notes. Uh, Ron Acuna, solo home run in the third, his 100th Major League Baseball home run. And uh, that wasn't even the biggest story of the game, but Ronnie, we'll just take, we'll stop now for a second. Uh, we know this, but Ronnie's pretty good to the point where he's the MVP of the league probably right now, despite being on a team that's under 500. I think he probably won the MVP right now. Yeah, I think him or if Jacob DeGrom's body can hold up over the full that year. That is true. I he's think, been ridiculous. 
He has, but again, I mean, it, literally every time DeGrom has pitched the last couple times out, he's left the game early with injury. I hope for Jacob's sake that he can stay healthy because he is having like an all-time great year. But yes, I, I think at least of position players, I would take Ronald over the field. And I think he comfortably it, leads in WAR in the National League, uh, other than De, other than Degrom, like position player. I think he, I think yes. he, after today, after the home run, I'm pretty sure he still leads pretty comfortably in WAR right now yeah over i think tatis nick nick castellanos is up there too but yeah i i think so i mean if if you were taking it i would imagine uh, i think vegas probably has degrom just a nose higher and part of that is also him pitching in new york but degrom's been insane we'll see if his body holds up over the full season but yes ronald regardless of mvp mvp candidacy uh has been tremendous and uh his hundredth career home run tonight which was cool to see it seems like just yesterday he was making his debut and uh it was it was more than enough on a night when drew smiley was good and the bullpen was good and it was you really wanted to get that win tonight after a, a frustrating uh, afternoon game yes to be sure and you know drew smiley pitching really well um you can't bank on it you know i think we've probably been probably been a little bit more kind to drew than some uh but he's been bad this season but he pitched well in this game. Uh, he pitched five and two thirds, one hit, three walks, five strikeouts. Um, and I'll, I'll take this opportunity now to praise Brian Snicker um, because Drew Smiley was going through the third time through the order, basically, you know, cruising with a no hitter. So you can't really take him out. Um, but as soon as he allowed the first hit, he got pulled. And that was the right decision 100 times out of 100. So shouts to Snit for not just like letting him, like letting him ride as he has done a couple times this season. Um, that was I wanted to at least go out of my way here to be like, all right, good job. That was good. that was a good decision. Was- and really, that's that's the way you have to treat. I mean, not even just Drew Smiley, but I think just pitchers in general. Most unless pitchers. you're talking about yeah. just a, you know your frontline workhorse. But yeah, Drew Smiley was really really impressive. He had everything working. He didn't give up an, a hit until the fifth inning, uh, which was an infield single. At that, uh, he had pretty good command. He did have a couple of walks, but. He pitched well, and, and as you said, the fact that as soon as he gave up a hit, he came out of the game, and, and Luke Jackson, who has been tremendous this season, especially recently, uh, Luke Jackson came in, got out of the eighth, or the, the eighth inning, the sixth inning without a problem, and uh, thankfully it, it did not escalate as we have seen Smiley's starts. Because really, again, with Smiley, he hasn't been that bad in the first couple innings, and then in the fifth or the sixth, whatever inning it is that he goes through a third time, you blink, and before you know it, a couple runs have scored and a couple of his base runners are on base. And he goes from a, you know, what, what could have been a pretty solid start for your fifth starter suddenly turns into a very bad situation. Yeah, and, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but just having a short leash and you know, just being careful with starters and they win this game one nothing. There was no margin for error. I mean, it wasn't like they put up a bunch more runs for insurance after this. And, you know, they held on Luke Jackson, Will Smith, the rare Will Smith drama free inning. Shouts to Will Smith. Very um, refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the week, they're three and three. No one's excited about that, including us. Uh, they have to at some point get hot. We've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. Uh, I'll just do this now before we get to some news. Uh, look ahead to the, to the week that's coming. They play eight games. At least they're scheduled to play eight games in the next seven days. So no days off and a doubleheader on Monday. Um, but a big one here to start the week. They, they, they're in New York to play the Mets for four games in three days. That's a chance for them to make a move. Now, obviously, the Mets have been better than the Braves this season. So no, no gimmies there. But 
what you can't afford to do is lose the series 3-1 or, God forbid, get swept. Because then you're in like a world of hurt. You're already down five games. You don't want to leave there down seven or eight or nine. That, that would be obviously um, self-explanatory disaster. But if you go out and win three out of four, suddenly you're within three and you're feeling good. You just beat the Mets, et cetera. So I, I don't want to overstate it. But as big of a series can be in June, this is probably it to start this, to start this week. Am I crazy? No, you're absolutely right. And I know it's we still have 100 games to go, but uh, at some point you have to go on a run. And what better time? You just won three out of four against a pretty good Cardinals team. And really over the last, I don't know, couple weeks, the Braves have, have not been horrible. They had a bad series in Miami where they let a couple games get away, but they should have won at least two out of three against the Phillies, if not swept. You, you can argue they probably should have won at least one against the Red Sox. And I know you can play the woulda, coulda, shoulda, but uh, th- they have been playing a little bit better. You hope that they're able to at least win two out of two out of these four games against the Mets. One of them is going to be against Jacob deGrom on Monday afternoon, which will be very difficult. But um, if, as you said, if you could win three out of four somehow, that would be huge. Even a split isn't the end of the world. And, but at the end of the day, they do need to go on a run where they win, you know, I don't know, 16 out of 20 or 20 out of 25. If they're going to get in this thing and, and at least challenge the Mets seriously this year, they can't keep treading water where they win four in a row, then lose five in a row, then win three, then lose four. And before we know it, we're going to be in August and September and, and the season's going to get away from them. Yep, so a big one clearly there, and then they get, then they go to Cincinnati actually later on in the week. So the last four games are in Cincinnati, and you know it's a big week. Uh, if they go four and four again, we'll probably come on and talk about how it was like okay, but not a disaster. But they really need to start winning at some point in the near future. Um, <laughs> that's a good title for this pod. Okay, but not a disaster. Yeah, that's probably that'd be a, that'd be a, probably it's really be a pretty, been the whole yeah, effective. it's been the whole season so far. It really yeah. is a theme so far. Um, <laughs> all right, before we get out of here, a couple things to, of news to hit on. Um, the first all-star balloting came out early this week. I think the next one's coming out either tomorrow or the next day, but, um, Acuna leading all, um, voters of the national league. No surprise there. He should and will start, I think in the, in the outfield, Ozzy leads at second base. So, uh, I think deservedly so he's very good. Uh, Freeman was second, second at first base. Riley was fifth at third, uh, fifth at third base and way, way, way behind, uh, a couple of different people, Chris Bryant, et cetera. Um, <laughs> I just saw your note, which is funny. Uh, I'll let you say that part. Um, but uh, in in general, I think this is it's obviously too early to really care. Plus, uh, you know, all star starters is what this is. But the entire team is voted on later, and uh, I just want to at least update people. But uh, I will defer to you on your thoughts now, Scott. This is the the point where you need to edit in the Stephen A. Smith blurb. The I'm here to tell you right now. We don't care. We don't care. It's uh, that that's a bad Stephen A. impression. But um, as you said, it's it's still a couple weeks before uh, voting gets finalized. Great. It'd be awesome to see Ronald as the uh, starting outfielder. Ozzy is certainly deserving. We'll see if Freddie can close that gap. But uh, yes, All Star Game is not my my favorite aspect of the season. So I will I will nor leave mine. it there. Uh, nor mine. I'm not a big All Star guy, but I will uh, I will consume. It as it comes. Uh, and the last thing, and there was other news like, you know, call-ups. And I, I kind of given up on going through every transaction because the Braves have been very busy in terms of the call-ups and send-downs and stuff this year. So I'm passing on all those for now unless it's a big one. Like Kyle Moore we mentioned earlier coming up and then going back down. But um, Alex Anthopoulos talked to Jeff Schultz of The Athletic this week. A semi-rare, 
like full blown one on one that AA did. Um, and a couple of notes, nothing like crazy, but I want to always pass it along. Um, the headliner was about the availability of Soroka, Enoa, and Darno, who he said are all expected to be back, quote, sometime in August, end quote. Uh, I don't know what that means. I mean, it's a very general statement. Um, but, you know, Soroka in particular, having like a target is pretty good news. You know, I'll be the first to say that I don't think anyone should take that to the bank on any of these guys, but particularly Soroka, who's been out for so long. Um, but still, it would be helpful to have even two of the three back at some point. And Soroka, a pro, doesn't need, doesn't need anything else to be, happen to him, just rehab and getting strength. And he spoke to the media this week, actually, Soroka did. And he's going week by week, he said. But yeah. generally positive stuff. And, I mean, it goes without saying that the talent level of the team would rise if they had, you know, Darno and Soroka back. But yeah, for sure. I think uh, it seems like Darno is ahead of the game from when we thought. I mean, it was it was at the time that he got hurt and had surgery. I think people were, were originally saying September. So if you can get him back and work him in with Contreras, that would be great. Obviously, if you can get Waskar back and healthy and going even close to the way he was in April, that would be great. For me, with Mike Soroka, I think I almost think it's just more of a mental hurdle for him than a physical one. It sounds like his body rejected the stitches that he had after his surgery, which is a little odd. That's why he was having some discomfort. I know I, I forget who, but they said it was a fairly rare occurrence. And of course, it, it it got Mike and thankfully it wasn't something worse. But for him, for his sake, because it's been almost a full calendar year since he's pitched competitively, if he can make some kind of appearance in August or September and uh, clear that hurdle and hopefully propel him into a nice 2022 season. That would be very good news for the team going forward. Yeah, I uh, would concur with all of that. Uh, elsewhere in that interview, uh, he got the questions that you might expect about Marcelo Zuna and just did not say anything, which is what's what, what he has to do, to be fair. Um, he also saw a question about Mark Belanson, who has been very good this season. And he did make sure to note in not answering that question, basically, that Ozuna they signed as a backloaded contract to fit into the budget for this year. I think the implication there being that they didn't have any more money to spend on Melanson. Take that, take for that what you will, Scott. Um, I, I think it's just uh, on that point, I will say this. Um, at the end of the day, a general manager is judged by who he signs and doesn't sign and who he trades and, and, and team performance. Um, to me, it, it feels very obvious that at some point, probably in January, that ownership changed his budget because uh, the tone early in the offseason did not match the tone at all towards the end of it. You, Anthopoulos mentioned backloading Ozuna's deal. Um, there was that report that they had offered a $10 million deal to Kirby Yates. I mean, $10 million bucks to Kirby Yates is a healthy payday. And then all of a sudden, they basically did nothing for, for the bullpen. So it is worth noting, again, we'll never know the full story on that, but it if you kind of connect the dots and read between the lines a little bit, I think it's fair that ownership did change his payroll a bit from early going. I know DOB was tweeting a bit that he felt that if, if Anthopolis knew that the payroll was going to be what it was, they would not have signed Drew Smiley for 11 million bucks in the third week of November. Um, but again, at the end of the day, a GM is judged on what he does and doesn't do. And um, the, the, we could certainly go in, in depth about the move so far. Maybe when we have more time, we'll do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, he gave it a pretty lengthy quote about the payroll. He got asked um, if they had room to add for the season. Um, he did say, and I'm quoting now, we have, we have resources to add to payrolls to the club. 
the outlook is much different than when it was in the offseason when there was a lot of uncertainty. We started the year at blah, 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 blah. Talks about the capacity in the stadium and then ends with this, quote, we're absolutely in a position, and I've been told that as well, that we can add payroll at the trade deadline, end quote. So saying it and doing it is different, but it's obviously a good a good thing. Um, there's no there's not a negative takeaway to those quotes in that at least the Braves seemingly have some room to add. Um, there's a different conversation as to what point in time do you even want to add? Like the Braves mm-hmm. are if the Braves are out. Uh, if the Braves are six uh, six seven games out at the deadline. Are they are they going to go out and buy? I I don't think they I don't think they will honestly. Um, but if they make a run before then and they're a game or two out, then they probably will do something. So that comes down to like where they are honestly. And but it's yeah. I would say unequivocally, it's good that they seemingly have some money. Now how much that actually is, uh, he will never tell us. But the fact that they have pay- some payroll flexibility is a positive. Ultimately, we have six weeks until the trade deadline. I think we'll have a much better picture by the all-star break of what the Braves will or won't do. Of course, it's always possible they come out of them the break and lose six in a row or win six in a row and things change. But ultimately, I think this is the time of year where the trade rumors do seem to pick up a little bit. And if I had to make my very official podcast prediction, Uh I would guess that that if it's a, a move that benefits the team beyond 2021, I, I would imagine that it's something the Braves would entertain. But as you said, if, if it's just more of the same and they find themselves eight games back and it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out this year, especially with the wild card looking almost exclusively the two teams in the NL West at this point, um, we'll see where they're at in six weeks time. But I would imagine it will be more of the same of if there's a chance to improve the team, they'll do it. But unfortunately, they do not have unlimited funds, no matter what the you know what the GM says in an interview. Uh, to your point, there just as a record-keeping matter, uh, the Braves are currently eighth in the wild card standings. Yeah, eighth. It's and what are they behind? I looked it up the other day. They're like fourteen games behind the Dodgers or the Padres or something. It's ten. They're, they're ten behind ten. the Dodgers. There we go. So, yeah. but uh, yeah, they're ten behind the Dodgers, who are winning the wild card, and they're still six and a half behind number two in the wild card right now. Yeah. Now, and it's, again, it's more about the teams, though. Like, six and a half games is, like, a lot, but it's not completely unmanageable. But when you're an, sure. eight, when you're an eighth, like, you got to jump uh, half the league. That's, uh, that's tough. The, winning the division is more likely than winning the, wild, winning the wild card. Let's just say that. And if uh, and one just completely unrelated note, uh, the San Francisco Giants have three more wins than anybody else in baseball. And they it's are June twenty uh, first. Yeah. yeah. If you if you had that one in Vegas, I'd like to know what that payout was because it's a uh, anyway. The crazy the craziest Kevin. part of that is that it's not a fluke. Like they're plus ninety. Like yeah. they have a real run differential. Like granted, the Dodgers are better than them run, run differential. But they have they have a first place run differential like dominant so yeah who, know, who I, knows I knew, but I knew they were playing well but I, I saw that earlier on Sunday I was like holy cow yeah like what happened they were horrible like two years ago um, anyway I, I, I don't know yeah I'm, I'm with our, you all the way <laughs> that's our San Francisco Giants tangent for the week there you have it shouts to Grant Brisby um, yes all right well oh last <laughs> last thing on the uh, Schultz interview with with Alex Topless uh, he would not discuss anything about Freddie Freeman, basically. Um, and that we will spend more time on this later. Uh, there is a growing faction that believes Freddie's going to walk. Uh, I, I'm, o- I'm more open to that than I was a few months ago. I'll say that for sure. But uh, I don't know. I, I truly don't. But the fact that no one will talk about it and they're not negotiating, you know, 
just worth worth saying at the, at the end of the podcast. He'll be a free he'll be a free uh, agent in exactly four months. So yeah, I I don't have any kind of good read on that. I've you know I've heard and talked to people who just have a wide range of thoughts and theories. And obviously, Freddie is a very quiet and private person, and and Anthopolis, of course, is not going to show his hand in any way, shape, or form. But it's uh the discussion around Freddie has quickly gone over the last, I don't even know, year, year and a half from, yeah, he's going to resign to, yeah, I think they'll get it done in the off season to, no, they'll get it done in spring training to, well, the all-star break would make sense to sign Freddie to, uh, are they going to do this? What, what's going on? And, and we'll see, maybe we'll wake up one of these mornings in a, in an eight year deal will be done and, and we'll laugh about it. But, it's been a uh, an interesting last couple of months, just kind of seeing the tea leaves a little bit with everything going on. Yeah, uh, we'll end there, I guess. You know, again, big week coming, eight games in seven days. We're quite busy, uh, both for the site and for the Braves. Uh, Scott, if you have anything to plug, please feel free to do so. But if not, we'll sign off here at twelve something a.m. Yeah. my time. Yeah, I was gonna say it's time for you to get some rest. I know. I Not know even you close, my friend. Not even close. Plenty of things going on. You're it's grind o'clock for for Brad and the Atlanta Hawks. But um, hey, I guess you know the Braves won a couple games here to close out the week, and uh, you hope that this can be a, a positive step for them. We'll see. They're going to get into New York very late tonight with the Sunday night game, and then they have an early uh, doubleheader with the Mets and Jacob Degrom in Game One. We'll see if they throw Kyle Muller or Ian Anderson out there. But um, good to be on with you, Brad. Hope you're eventually able to get some rest. And uh, always fun to do these with you, my friend. You as well, my friend. I appreciate your willingness and flexibility late into the evening slash early in the morning. I guess it's only 9.30 for you. So it's not too bad. But you're, you're, the night is young. you're usually done with Braves content by 9.30 p.m., I would imagine. Yeah, uh, so. yeah. You're used to going to bed right now. I'm going to go talk about the Hawks a lot, but thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. Please check out the site. Please check out Road to Atlanta. Subscribe to this podcast feed. Follow Scott. Follow me if you'd like to, and all of that fun stuff. We'll see you next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.